This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by Do Grief Differently, my 12-week in-person or online program that helps grievers who have suffered any type of loss to feel better. In Do Grief Differently, you learn new tools, education, and a method you can utilize the rest of your life. In this program, and with my guidance, you remove the pain of grief. The sadness will always be there because even in complicated relationships, we love but it's the pain of grief that keeps us stuck. Are you ready to do grief differently? Check out my website, www.theunleashedheart.com to learn more. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Genesis Amaris Kemp, and she is a visionary life coach, motivational speaker, and author. She's also a firecracker and a mindset hacker and a force to be reckoned with. I love that. Genesis is a woman that empowers others to speak up for themselves. Yes, it may be challenging. Yes, it may hurt. But in the long run, she desires to encourage others to help those who may not have a voice. She's a trailblazer who wants others to live out their dreams, goals, and visions. We all have been given an excellent purpose in life. It is up to us to walk it out and live live victoriously. She is multifaceted and multidimensional that cannot be contained in a box or carpet compartmentalized. I love that. Love that bio. That was fun to read. Thank you for so much for that. My pleasure, Victoria. And thank you so much for having me on your platform. It is um, a change. So our roles are reversed since I had you on my show. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we have a lot of the same values and like mission in life. And, you know, you just want people to open up to their own potential, right? And to live into that potential. And I know what brings you to Grieving Voices is that you had a lot of loss in a short amount of time and really not even that long ago. So how about we start there? Yeah, sure. So um, my grief journey started, um, if I go back to when I lost my little cousin, who was like, like a sister to me, we were only three years apart. That was 2015, she lost um, her battle with lupus. She was only 20 years old and um, she had a tragic death where um, she fell off the um, toy, the toilet and bashed her head into the sheet rock. And we're not sure if it was the medication that they gave her that interacted with something else. So that was a hard um, death for me to deal with in 2015 because Vanessa and I were super, super close. Then in November of 2020, my father passed suddenly um, due to medical negligence. So it was eight days after having a surgical procedure. And um, how that how that journey started for me was my dad walked into the hospital just for his blood sugar levels being 
elevated in the middle of the pandemic. Three days later, we found out that my dad was paralyzed from the waist down, which was just alarming to us because I'm like, how does someone walk into the hospital and three days later, they're paralyzed? So was it the wrong medication? Did my father have a stroke? And just going through the processes of elimination to kind of pinpoint the root cause analysis of what happened. So then that led um, me to really stepping up to be a patient advocate for my for my dad, especially um, in a time where the hospitals were overpopulated with patients and understaffed with physicians, CNAs, doctors, and et cetera. And it was unprecedented. So that that was very hard. There's more things that happened there. But then the next um, significant loss was my grandmother on my father's side. So she passed nine months and five days from my dad. So it's like all the emotions came back up again because it was the same cemetery. She wanted to be buried at the feet of my dad and just going through all of that created some triggers in me because it was like I was reliving it for um, again. And with her, it was like she had a slow death because she fell in the bathroom, similar to how my little cousin had fell, but my aunt was able to turn her over. So whenever my aunt told me that all the emotions of when um, Vanessa passed came rushing back and it was hard to uh, compose myself and since we we currently we currently live in Texas and the hospitals were once again overstaffed um, with patients. So the ambulance when they came to came to the house, they pretty much told my aunt that the hospitals were on drive-by status, meaning that there may not be a be a room or bed available. So they pretty much, you know, tried to help my grandmother, but they said there was nothing else that that they could do. So they pretty much left her lying on the middle of my aunt's floor where she ended up passing away slowly because they couldn't take her to the hospital. So that was a horrible experience and another form of grief. Then the third incident that happened in regards to losing a loved one was when my grandmother on my mother's side passed after we got back from the Caribbean. She was 99 years old and um, we had just had like an amazing Christmas. We went there. It was the first time my husband got to meet some of my family down in the Caribbean that was not able to come when we come over when we got married, dude, like visas and different stuff. So that was a loss there. And then before that, just backing up, the other loss that I had in between all of this was losing my job from corporate America. So I got laid off from oil and gas along with 1,900 other people in the middle of the pandemic. That is a lot. That's, you know, when I say joke about, not even a joke, but, you know, you hate to joke, but it's kind of, you know, when you look back, it's like, wow, COVID really does ruin everything. (laughs) You know, that's why I say COVID ruins everything. Um, that's a lot. And I just want to extend my heart and thoughts and prayers to you and your family, because that really wasn't that long ago. And so I want to start or go back to, um, with your father, did you ever find out what caused his death specifically? Like, did he have an emergency, like a 
medical event or do you, did you ever find out? Yeah. So we found out bits and pieces. So, um, for the paralysis, we figured out that my dad did have a stroke, even though one facility told me that he did not have a stroke. So they pretty much lied, but it wasn't until we got to uh, rehab that they said, Oh, he has all the signs and characteristics of a stroke. So had they caught it sooner, they could have, you know, did preventative measures to help, you know, rehabilitate him faster, or we could have got him to a newer center. Then that led my dad to get a bed sore, so a sacral wound, which ended up becoming infected, which he got sepsis. So in order to get rid of sepsis, you have to go through a lot of blood transfusions and different stuff like that. That also led him to having emergency neck surgery. And then from emergency neck surgery, there was like so many other things that, you know, happened there that I don't want to be long winded. So um, it, it was a hard process. And then it got to the point where my dad just felt like he was not getting adequate care from going from a ho- one hospital to rehab, then back to the hospital because he got worse in the rehab where his stomach began to swell and distend. And it was just so hard. Like you could just feel my father's stomach. It felt like rock hard to not being able to see family because the hospitals went on lockdown because of the co- um, the COVID numbers rising so high. So they stopped visitors. And then my father came home. So I tried to do the best that I could to be like, home health, along with bringing in the appropriate disciplines like OT, occupational therapy, PT, physical therapy, having a nurse come in, having a person come in to clean them and stuff. And that's a lot of resources. And, you know, insurance only covers so much. So we didn't have full-time care. So when they weren't there, it was all hands on deck, which were either myself, my mother, and then whenever my husband wasn't working, my husband. But it was very hard and strenuous. And I tell people my hands go up to caregivers because people don't realize how much a caregiver goes through. I just... What was that time frame from start to when your father passed away? Like how long did this drag out? So May to November. So not that long. But even five months can feel like five years, right? Yeah. Oh, I just had um, a conversation that I recorded with um, a patient advocate. Actually, she had her own personal experiences with her husband and it, it, um, really pushed her forward to now be a patient advocate um, for she had a, shared a statistic, something to the effect of well over 200,000 deaths occur every year to medical negligence. Mm, I would love to talk to her. So yeah, yeah, I can connect you for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and given, you know, I want to discuss this because I think it really is truly important. What do you feel like personally, in your experience, do you feel like race played a role in your father? Not, do you feel like COVID was the hierarchy of that? Or do you feel like that race did play a role in that too? I think it was a little bit of both. One, definitely COVID because it was a time that no one really projected. And then also the race factor 
um, also played a factor in that as well, because the quality of care that someone who is a person of color versus someone who's not a person of color, and then you could even break down the demographics a little further between a person who has insurance and a person who does not have insurance because there's different tiers. And so one, my dad was a person of color. He did have insurance, but he also was South American descent. So I think all of that played into a factor. And then um, another thing that one of the nurses said um, to my father was like, oh, you're surely going to die if you don't comply. Because my dad would question like certain treatments. And I feel like as a patient, you have a right to question what treatments are being administered to you. If you feel like it does not agree with your body, that is your right as a patient. And for that nurse to have said that, I wish I was there that day because I certainly would have reported her. And the other layer of that too, and thank you for sharing that. I just, because as an end of life doula, That was very much a part of our conversation and training. And part of the training was that the disparity of care at end of life or palliative care for access for people of color or in different regions or areas of the country. And so that was a huge part of our training as an end of life doula. And so I I feel like that is an important aspect of healthcare too, that um, often doesn't get talked about enough. Is there anything else about that that you would like to share? I want to give you a chance to. Yeah, I feel like whenever you go into a certain practice, you need to be open minded that people are coming from various areas and backgrounds. And you need to be sensitive of their needs. Because even though you are a physician, you don't always have all the answers and you're not the end all be all. And you should really um, see it as a partnership with your patient and actively listen. And it's a two way street. So you can make sure that that patient has the best care because if the shoe was on the other foot and that was your loved one, how would you like your loved one or yourself to be treated? You know, it brings to mind something that I think a job description would be excellent for hospitals would be, you know, an, an objective person, you know, so like in and at end of life or palliative care, you have the end of life doula that is there on behalf of the patient, first of all, number one, but also for the family, they're, they're the bridge between the healthcare staff, the patient and the family. And so they can answer questions. They can share with, the family, what to expect when their loved one is dying. They can be the advocate for the patient, things like that. And I'm thinking what an amazing thing that that would be for someone, for families in hospitals who are going through long-term issues or when their loved one's in the hospital for a long period of time to have that go-to person, right? To be your advocate, because I don't think we really, that's really not a thing, is it? No, it's not. And people don't realize that the hospitals do have patient advocates, but they're not a lot. And just like they have social workers and they have case managers and et cetera. But if a, if a patient does not know what the resources are while they are in hospital care, then that also prolongs the help that they're, that they're given. Like, for example, I just found out that there is a music therapy person um, at the cancer facility that my cousin is currently undergoing her treatment at. And I had no idea that was a thing, but um, 
unless she would have told me or the person came around, I wouldn't have known. Just like they have a chaplain, they have so many different resources. And I think that we have to do a better job educating the patients, but also the hospital to bridge the gap and just close those um, gaps with letting them know these are the things that you're entitled to. And it shouldn't always be a numbers game or profit over people. We need to get back to humanity and have compassion, have empathy, and realize that we're all human beings and every day is not going to be the same, but remember why you signed up to do the job that you did. Yeah. And I think questioning should never be, you should never be shamed for questioning. It's, you know, your body better than anybody else. And that's, you know, yeah, my son had an incident this a few months, several months back. And I was a questioner, probably annoying as all get out, but you know, you almost, you have to be right. You have to be because no one's going to care more about you than you or your loved one. Right. So yeah, it is up to us to ensure. And that's the thing like with COVID too. And then they, they created this barrier. There was this barrier there where you couldn't be the advocate. You couldn't even be there. And so you're sitting at home wondering, is he getting the care that he needs? And how did you deal with that? That part was hard. So we um, sent a tablet with my dad so we could at least have video calls so we could see him and stuff, especially um, since we knew that he was, um, suffering from that paralysis from the waist down. And there were times where like I would be on the phone with him and he was hitting the nurse bell and it took over 30 minutes for a nurse to come to his room. And like, I sat there and waited on the phone. And then when I called the nurse desk, they said, Oh, we were just in there. And that literally, like if I could turn red Victoria or if steam or smoke could come out of my nose and ears like a dragon, you could just picture how mad I was because like one of my pet peeves is lying. Don't say you were just in the room when I know I was on the phone. So that was just one incident. And then um, another thing that happened um, out of all this stuff is I lost another um, dear friend. So my best friend's dad ended up passing after he had surgery too, like a few hours. And then my friend um, was misdiagnosed and her organs ended up shutting down only to find out that she had lupus. So in the height of the pandemic, they put her in a medically induced coma for four days. And it was just horrendous. So all of these things have happened along with me losing loved ones. And then so just me having to be a patient advocate and help with other people was also mentally taxing. And the fact that you couldn't get it, get inside some facilities was very alarming because certain policies were not being adhered to because of the fact that the hospital was short of staff. Well, and that opens them up to liability and negligence, right? Yeah. I didn't realize that lupus could be deadly like that. Mm-hmm. And you've lost two people, right? It was so one was my cousin, and then I almost lost my friend who was just diagnosed with lupus. She ended up making it out of the medically induced coma. Um, Then she had a stroke similar to my dad. So a lot of the symptoms that she had actually mirrored what my dad had. So that was another trigger for me. And, but the good thing about her is when she went to a rehab, the rehab facility was honest with them and said, there's nothing that we can do to help you. 
but we can refer you to a neuro center. And when she went to that neuro center, she had to learn how to walk again. She had to learn how to um, use her arms again. And that was the best thing. And I said, man, looking back, I wish I would have known about this neuroscience, uh, neuroscience center um, that worked on neurology and stroke patients. So I could have put my dad there versus the damn, um, facility that I put my dad in for rehab because it was like everything was like rush go 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 because whenever the insurance is paying they only cover a certain amount of days in a hospital a certain amount of days in um, rehab certain amount of days in long-term acute care and etc and they like are rushing you don't have enough time to do all your research but if they would have given me like a week like hey we need to move da 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 and based on insurance I would have you know been better prepared and yes my my husband even got on me because he was getting frustrated he's like you should have been researching this but I had no idea it was going to come to the point that I needed to hurry up and move him to another facility and I didn't and you don't always know what insurance is going to cover because sometimes they change things on 30 days um, basis. Well, and I can't imagine how much time you spent on hold on the phone yeah. <laughs> dealing with all the different departments and agencies and insurance. And yeah, yeah, I can't even imagine. Um, so how did you, what got you through? So after I lost my dad in November of 2020, what really helped me was podcasting. I just opened my phone and I started talking to myself in the phone because I got so freaking tired of people saying, Oh, I know how you feel. And I'm like, do you, have you lost a parent? Cause both of your parents are very well and alive or, um, you know, he's in a better place, mm. which I'm like, okay, I, I understand that. Or the spiritual people, since I come from a religious and spiritual background, Oh, well, the Lord give it. And the Lord take it away. You know, the Lord would never put more on us than we can bear, Genesis. And, you know, we're, we all have to die someday or just whatever. But instead of at, like asking or saying, I don't know how you feel, but is there anything that I could do for you versus preempting your assumptions and judgments onto me, knowing what I was dealing with? Because you don't know the triggers. You don't know like other things that I went through. You don't know that my dad and I were super, super close. We had a good relationship. And there's oftentimes people don't have a relationship with their father or they don't even know their father. But I tell people, my dad, we were like, you know, Ben and Jerry, we were like two peas in a pot. That was like my person that like I could go to and talk about anything over over my mom, even though him and my mom were married for 30 years. And he was also my road dog because times I would want to go to the mall. My husband hates being in the mall for hours with me. So I would just call my dad and he would go with me. Or like if I want to go to the grocery store, he would just come along and push the car, help me load up the car with the groceries and just different stuff. And just not to have him there what was hard. And then when I found out that I was expecting to know that he was a great grandfather to like all of my nieces and nephews, but he would never get the ability to spend time with my child, which him and my mother live with my husband and I. So we, we all live together. Like I was like, this would be the first one in the house. So how cool would that be for dad and mom to be here? Like those are our babysitters right there. What was your dad? What's your dad's name? Earl. 
your face just lit up. Maybe people can't see this unless they watch the video, but yeah, your face just lit up as you talked about him. Yeah. What was, what are some of the greatest lessons that you, that your father passed on to you and that your grandmother shared with you too? So one always, um, know who you are. Um, he, he always instilled like scriptures in me, especially whenever I had like bad days or I, you know, started to question God or like moved away from, um, from God. Like my dad was always there. Um, another thing was always follow your dreams and passion. So like before I went to real school, I got a real degree. Like my dad paid for me to go to acting school, which I always wanted to do like something like that. But I actually got selected for IMTA LA, which is the international model talent agency for Los Angeles, where you could go audition in front of all the big names of who's who. But then my mom, she's very conservative and my mom's Caribbean. So she's like, Oh no, if they want you, like they will pay for you together. We're not spending five grand on that. But what you can do is go get a real degree like your brother and my brother's an engineer. So like my mom is very like school focused and driven. And my dad was always like, Oh yeah, if you want to do that, like go after it. So that's one thing I miss about my dad. He like, he would talk to anybody. He would give you the shirt off your off your back. And since we are a blended and multicultural family, like my dad did not necessarily see color because his mom was half white, half black. And he was just so open, like to different cultures and people and very loving. And um, that was a good thing that my dad instilled because now we live in a society where everyone is so polarized, whether it's religion, whether it's sexual orientation, whether it's race or whatever. And I I think if we get back to realizing that there's more commonalities that we have versus highlighting the differences, we would be better as society. So um, those are really good values that my dad instilled. And then my grandmother, her and I did not get close um, until she came back to attend my husband and I's wedding. So just the humbling experience was the fact that, you know, my grandmother um, needed help taking a shower. So I helped bathe her one day and I was like, oh gosh, I have to bathe grandma. Um, and so that was like very like humbling and she was very sassy. And then, you know, I found out that she really likes to play dominoes. So her and my um, husband got to play dominoes. So that was cool. Um, my, she was a great baker. She uh, loved cro- crossword puzzles and that's something I like to do. So, um, she was doing her crossword puzzles and then I started doing them. And when she passed on, like I got all the crossword puzzles that she had left from my aunt's house. I was like, I got dibs on great on grandma's crossword puzzles. So that was cool with, uh, my dad's mom. And then, with my mom's mom, the beauty of that was the fact that she was 99. And when we went there to the Caribbean, like she knew that I was expecting before I could even tell her. So it was like a cool bonding experience that we had. So she got to give me her blessing and speak life over um, my, my, my baby and just all of those things. And then she really, she really got to engage with like my husband. And so them two like started to build a bond and crack jokes. So it was like, kind of, kind of cool to see that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is just amazing. So each one of them had like amazing things and remnants that they left. Your voice, you just lit up again. (laughs) 
Yeah. I can see you have so much love for your family and as we all do, but you just how you lit up talking about them. I do wonder, has there been grief or was there grief about that potential dream? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I told my, my, my mom all the time, even now I was like, I could have been on the big screens with Tyler Perry. I could have had my dream car by now, my black Lambo sitting on black with my blue neon lights. <laughs> like, just, or just like the pipe dreams or just different stuff like that. Cause that is like my personality. I love talking with people and engaging in different conversations. And just when you could take yourself out of your own reality and submerge it into something else to really allow your create creative juices to flow I think that's amazing and I have a lot of love for like the producers the writers the illustrators and etc because there's so many things that go involved in in that that people from the outside looking in don't realize and I was like you know at the end of the day there there are people just like we are even though they have like you know the nice the nice house a nice car and etc But like, I was like, money doesn't make you, but money does act as a vehicle to get you what you want. So you could like give back to society because there's so many charities that I want to partner with, like lupus, and I want to partner more with the cancer center and um, find find cures for for diabetes and different ways to um, pair like a nutritionist with every like diabetic person so they can reverse diabetes and just different stuff like that. I have so many goals and dreams, but like without having all the resources, you're not able to check those off your list just yet. I say just yet, because I do believe in manifestation and the law of attraction. Because you brought up, you know, career and dreams and all of, if you can share that job loss, was that like a blessing in disguise? Um, Looking back, I think it was because what a lot of people don't know is that we tried for so long to conceive and it just wasn't, wasn't happening. And I'm not sure if, if if it was because my job was very high stress or I was just very unhappy there, especially whenever I knew that I was being underpaid, undervalued. And I, things didn't, did not change for me until I spoke up um, after the whole Black Lives Matter incident when I was in the vice president's meeting and that's where I got a $20,000 salary increase one week later. Good for you. And I got a bump in my classification level from a 15 to a 22. But why did it have to take me speaking up about my stories with personal racism and professional racism? Um, And it was just, it was just heart wrenching. And I think what really gave me the option was just knowing the fact that I had my book out on the market and I was doing work in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging space outside of, you know, my day-to-day job in corporate. But I feel like when you come from a good old boys club that's male-dominated, older, Caucasian, white men, like you have to work twice as hard to be seen and heard without doing things that compromises your morals and values. Because sometimes people are just wanting to get ahead so bad, like they do things that are unscrupulous or things that would demean who they are. Yes, all of it, everything you shared, good for you. And I imagine that that's like, how has that played in your, those experiences played into the work you're doing now? Oh, they've played into it drastically because being laid off has now allowed me the ability to like do my podcast, 
connect with other people. Yes, it it sucks not having the dual income that I had with my husband. It sucks not having, you know, the perks of staying at the nice hotels or having a limo pick you up to take you to the airport for business travel or a corporate Amex card. Like those things suck. But I was like, when you focus on the vanity, you also lose a sense of who you are. Are you allowing money to buy you to the point where you're hushing yourself? because the money is so good. So it was a wake up call and it helped me grow more personally as well as professionally to realize that, you know, you can have all the money in the world and still be unhappy. You can have the good salary and live in the nice neighborhood, but still feel, feel unhappy if you're not fully fulfilled in yourself. And if you feel like you're just going through the emotions, because if that's the case and you're just living, you're not fully existing and enjoying life. Would you say that that's what your grief has taught you? Yeah, I would definitely say grief has taught me that it's a hell of a journey and a ride. And there are some days that I have to take a mental health day where I feel like certain things will happen where I feel triggered. Like right now I'm funeral out. Like I don't want to go to any more funerals because it's been a lot. (laughs) I am tired of seeing so many people suffer from the pandemic or lose their lives because since I've been doing the podcast, other people have shared with me their stories because I've been open about sharing the loss of my dad and what he went through. And they're like, oh my gosh, I could resonate with that. And it's heart-wrenching because they're not just African-Americans. They're people from all walks of life that it's happened to. Another thing that just bothers me the, um, with the fact right now is I'm not sure if it's happening in your state, but the abortion ban law, because you never know what a woman is going through. You don't know if she got her test results back and found out that, you know, there's something wrong with the chromosomes of her baby and her baby may not make it. So abortion would be a way to help herself and help her child. You don't know if that woman was raped. You don't know if, you know, that woman is in an abusive relationship and she was forced or coerced into something that, you know, she, she's not in a good mental state to be a mother or whatnot. So that that's heart wrenching. And, you know, there are people out here who are, you know, privileged to have a baby and could just have a baby. And then they don't value that they created life and they just get rid of it versus bringing that baby to full term and giving that baby up for adoption to a loving home. There's so many things right now that just, agitates the hell out of me. And I feel like having a podcast, I could talk about what I want to talk about when I want to talk about it, and just bring awareness on the various subjects while cutting through the fluff, because we have so much fluff in social media, we have fluff on TV. And I think people want to hear real, raw, transparent conversations to know that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to take a mental health day without someone thinking that you're crazy or you need to be committed or whatever. It's okay to pull back the negative stigmas. It's okay to stand up for what you believe in and be unapologetically you. There's so much in what you shared. It's And it's also people can believe and have the right to believe what they believe. And it doesn't make it wrong. And it doesn't make it. It's just different. I don't know if this is true because I haven't read the whole thing or maybe you can clarify it for me. On the abortion law, there's supposedly something that says that women can abort if they don't like the sex of the baby, that that's included in that. I have not seen that, but that would be alarming 
if that was yeah. a clause or case, because that's not a good reason to abort the baby if you don't like the sex of the baby. As long as your baby is healthy, you should continue to go on with that baby. But then I don't know the context and pretense of what that woman may be struggling with because pregnancy can be a very complicated process. Mm-hmm. There's, I like to tell people there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I talked about this recently with the guests. I was like, people see the glamorous side of pregnancy, but they don't see like your left boob may just start leaking for no apparent reason one day while you're in your pregnancy. Your butt may hurt from sitting down for so long. Some women have the varicose veins that just pop out that are hideous or the stretch marks or whatever. And um, I feel like you need to have those conversations. But going back to that clause, I'm definitely going to have to look that up because I would just call BS on that one. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I think some laws, they could be better written, right? And mm-hmm. I think if, if people, if the sides could come together and really talk about what they're passing, right? Like, do, does this seem extreme or does, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. find a common ground and, and uh, an understanding of that both sides can agree to. But back to you. I want to thank you for your time today. And I want to give you an opportunity to share where people can find you if they want to hear more from you. So you could head on over to my website, which is genesisamariskemp.net. And I'm going to spell it. So it's G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S-K-E-M-P, dot net. So I'll have a link to my Instagram, my Facebook, you'll get a free chapter of my book, which is the first chapter of chocolate drop in corporate America, from the pit to the palace. And for those of you on the video, I will hold up what the book looks like. So that is the cover of the book there. So you see that it really shows that diversity, that equity and inclusion on the book. There's a world in the background, letting people know that this happens worldwide, not just in America. And I'm also giving away to other freebies on my site, which is under the features and merchandise tab, which one is a health assessment, because I truly believe in order to have longevity, it starts with nutrition and overall wellness and exercise. So there is a health assessment there. So you can analyze where you are currently and what vehicles you need to use to get to where you want to be. And then there is a free product. It's the Kiani Sunrise, which is the super fruits and super nutrients all in one pack. So definitely give you that energy and just boost you up, especially if you don't like certain vegetables or certain fruits, you'll have everything that you need in one packet. And it's a quick um, drink you could drink on the go. Um, Unlike the garbage that's on the market, like a monster, a five hour energy that boosts you up like a rocket, but then you come crashing down. So those are three freebies that I'm giving. And then I also want to encourage people to check out some of the other things that I have going on, which all info can be found out on my website via the different tabs. And what's your podcast called? My podcast is called GEMS, G-E-M-S with Genesis Omaris Kemp. And it's called GEMS because we all have incredible gems to share while we are here on earth. And the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate, plus intersect the dots between diversity, equity, 
inclusion, and belonging. I love it. I love your message too. So thank you so much for being here. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.